I'd like to ask for your kind attention again for some clarifications. Um, we are firmly in the territory of Chittanupasana, the contemplation of mind. Uh, maybe a footnote, uh, I was asked what the difference between meditation and contemplation was. Um, that would be a delightful rabbit hole to get lost in. <laughs> Um, I can tell you what I mean by these things and I can allude to some history um, meditation is a, one of the classic misnomers in the reception of Buddhist traditions uh, meditari means to think in Latin and for many centuries meditations have been philosophical reflections you know? So as in the meditations of Descartes or uh, other famous meditations. Um, who the guy was we need to blame for uh, putting the Buddhist practice of bhavana, of cultivation, down to thinking. Um, you know, I had, a word, I had a word or two to say to this person. Um, it looks now Buddhists have won the game, basically, and have uh, redetermined the use of the term. And uh, many Christian uh, monasteries now do meditation. And by that, they don't mean the meditari, as is part of the Benedictine tradition, you know, where you uh, pray, the uh, oratio, and then you reflect upon, you have the meditatio, and then you have the non-conceptual deep viewing or holding of what you have prayed and reflected upon, uh, named contemplatio, that's the sort of the old Benedictine three steps. Or, um, sometimes the lectio is in there, you know, you have the reading, the lectio, and then the oratio, the prayer, and then the meditatio, the reflection on what you have prayed on and what you have heard of, and that hopefully uh, culminates in the non-conceptual contemplatio, the holding of these themes in a direct and unmedi discursively unmediated way. So by now, it looks like many people in Buddhist uh, circles have redetermined the notion of meditation to be more something like Buddhist uh, cultivation. And many Christian, particularly monastic practitioners, who many of them meditate in the Buddhist sense, they call this meditation. So, just to confuse the use of these terms. In my books, contemplation is a, an active and themed application of mind. So, if you contemplate, say, if you cultivate stillness by practicing with your primary object, and then you make an exercise like I suggested yesterday with the Vedana, say, noting the quality of your distractions, whether they be pleasant or unpleasant, whether they be physical or whether they be mental, that would be a contemplation in my books. 
if you more profoundly focus on an aspect of, say, your experience, we haven't emphasized that very much, but many of you will already have done that because of prior instructions, focusing on the disappearance of things. You know? Our attentional focus generally is on the appearance of things. That's where that's where the new thing happens. So un involuntary attentional focus is often on the arising of something. And contemplative exercise suggests that we shift that emphasis from the arising to the disappearance of things. Just because we do less of that and because we don't take as much notice of how things disappear as we take of them appearing, we end up with a strange sense of things being more solid because we keep missing that they disappear. We keep missing that they stop, that they cease, that they taper off. So the contemplative exercise would be to say, focus on the disappearance, on the ending, on the uh, falling away of sound, of a sensation, of a mood, of a taste. Such a thing would be a contemplative exercise in my books. All of the things I'm going to suggest now in terms of citta nupassana would be contemplative exercises. I translate the word anupassana as it occurs, for example, in the Satipatthana Sutta many times with contemplation. The word anupassana means, uh, pasati means to look, and anupassana means to look along something. So it's a viewing, it's a holding, it's, um, I think Brian would say, lingering. We're willing to hold something as an experience rather than be be taken by it or be driven by it. We're willing to have something as an experience. And that conscious holding of our experience, I would see as the beginning of contemplative work. Rather than me being trying not to have my experience and getting into another movie um, instead of having the movie I'm having, um, that would not be a contemplative attitude. That would be a maybe controlling attitude or an optimizing attitude, or it would be a you know it would not be interested in discovering the dynamic of what's happening. It would only be an interested in not having the dynamic. Or if I was going to be a little more harsh in Buddhist terms, I would say this is vibhavatanha, the desire to get rid of something, rather than a transformative interest that hopefully takes me into a deeper relationship with the forces that underpin the dynamic I don't want to have. Which is not easy, admittedly. So all of that I would see as contemplation. What meditation is, I don't really know, frankly. There's so many things that go by that name. I have learned not to believe uh, meditation as a term that this actually conveys understanding. Um, I always have to ask, what are you actually doing? What are you trying to do? What are you actually doing? (laughs) What do you do when something else happens than you had planned for yourself, you know? So sometimes I use it very casually. Uh, Does he meditate? Meaning, uh, does he have some form of regular exercise in which he or she tries to 
still the mind or cultivate some quality of mind. Sometimes I use it as casually as that. But the interesting part is always followed. You know, what do you actually do when you meditate? So many things hinge on what follows. Just sitting here and marinating in my anxieties may look like meditation, but it is not the cultivation of wholesomeness. Or just me trying to be relaxed is also not really meditation. There's a powerful place for relaxation, but um, relaxation finds its immediate reward in the establishment of a somatic or uh, affective or even discursive relaxation. And that is useful, but that's not necessarily training. It's a useful skill to have, but it doesn't necessarily train the mind in deeper understanding, in unraveling uh, dukkha-inducing dynamics, uh, in wholesome virtues of the mind, say, establish it continuity, be training non-reactiveness, um, strengthening empathetic connectedness, things like that. You know, these are all things that take training. They don't just come by us sitting here and listening to the birds. Yeah? That's useful, sitting here and listening to the birds. This is helpful. Sometimes this is exactly what is needed. But there is very little of training in that. Yeah? So, the interesting bit about meditation seems to be what we precisely mean, what we precisely identify as wishing to cultivate. For me, the word cultivation, calling into being, is the key piece. So, sorry, this was a little longer as a footnote than I intended. So how do we practice Chittanupassana? The challenge there is the obvious, that the mind that we try to understand and the dynamics that we try to understand are actually happening to the instrument by which we try to understand these dynamics. If we're trying to understand sleepiness and we are sleepy, then we need to work with a sleepy mind. So we can't just have a little epistemological discussion with ourselves about the nature of torpor or sleepiness. We're actually having to deal with a mind that is already partially asleep. And the challenge is how to both do justice to the need for intervention and for the need to systemically understand what is happening here. So there are very simple things we can do. It's important to establish a vocabulary, a somatic vocabulary for the things we experience as emotions or as states. How do I know that this body is sleepy? What are the highly subjective and personal symptoms of sleepiness in your body? How do I know that this body experiences a mind that is anxious or angry, elated, in love, um, gloomy, in doubt. How do I feel that in the body? This is a contemplative toolkit. Do I recognize the somatic markers for my emotional states? 
Where is anxiety in this body? How do I know this is anxiousness? How do I know this is... feeling unsafe? What are the signs? Where do I feel that? This is immensely useful for Chittanupassana, for the contemplation of mind, to recognize the somatic anchor of our emotions. If you look at the little map of the four Satipatthana, the four channels, I've said that these channels are always broadcasting. The implication of that is that every emotion has a somatic place, has a somatic manifestation. Maybe I'm aware of this, maybe I'm not. If I'm not aware of this, making this more conscious is really helpful. Making more conscious where I feel, how I feel. I mean that quite specifically, that you learn to go sift through your body and correlate your mood, you know, the climate, the weather of your mind, you know, kind of mildly lost, slightly diffuse, kind of pleasantly foggy, but somehow unclear where agency is, you know, where do I feel that in the body? These are useful things. Noticing that these things are present, noticing to what extent they are present, noticing that these things are absent is also useful. That's what one of the things teaches us Chittanupasana, the presence and absence of things. The the Sutta itself speaks of 16 different qualities, but um, I personally think the list is not exhaustive. Um, There are many more qualities of mind. The more of these qualities you are familiar with, the more you have, say, an awareness of and maybe even a capacity to name and recognize, there is something of a correlation between the capacity to name something and to recognize something. Not that it's always accurate, but sometimes if I have names for qualities, it's easier to find these qualities. If you think of the breath yesterday, or the day before when I spoke of these five qualities of breathing, if I just sit here and try to feel my breathing, it can be very diffuse. If I look for specifics, like how deep does it go, how fast does it go, how much life is there, what is its texture, what is the resistance of the body, these are specific questions, they can help me feel more precisely. These are not just categories to be ticked. They can actually deepen my relationship. Uh, So there is a profound connection between having a notion of something and being able to connect with uh, what that notion points to. So the more you know of your somatic resonance in terms of state of mind, climate of mind, mood of mind, affect of mind, the better off you are, the more easily you recognize what is needed, how, how this can be strengthened if it is wholesome, or how this can be uh, attenuated if it is not, how this can be counterbalanced if something is not wholesome. Or you simply notice what's missing, you know. 
Brian spoke of the Bajangas, Gerrit spoke of the Nivaranas, the hindrances. That's one of the questions you can ask in terms of Chittanupassana, you know. Just diving in and noticing, you know, is there mindfulness? How do I know there is mindfulness? Mindfulness as such doesn't have a flavor, you know. You don't have a taste of mindfulness. Mindfulness is only noted indirectly. For example, if you ask body, what are you feeling? Then if you're mindful, the body will answer in many, many different ways. It will give you a a number of diverse, textured, quite distinct feedbacks. If you ask body, what are you feeling? And the answer is, oh, nothing special, just as normal. Just leave me in peace. Then you know this is not mindfulness. It's it's a little like in a fairy tale. Mommy sends a little boy into the forest and has to bring wood. You know, she gauges how mature is he, he is for new teachings on the size of the wood he brings back home. You know, so if it's just a few twigs, a few brittle dry twigs, you know, he has to wait for another seven years. Yeah? This is the same with mindfulness. You give mindfulness a task and then according to how that task is fulfilled, you have an idea how much mindfulness is in your system, how available it is. If it isn't available, it's probably not useful to say, go to the tip of my nose and become really fine. It just will go to the tip of the nose, try to be really fine and fall off. And next moment of consciousness, a kinjana strikes the bell. And you have a strange crick in your neck. So you need to acknowledge that mindfulness needs, say, a little massage. You know? It's brittle. Not much wood comes back. So we'll need to massage mindfulness. We'll need to give it little tasks. You know? Go through the body. Go to the, you know, like a kind of baby's hand. Punch, punch, punch. You know? Touch. See what's there. Come back. See what's there. Further down. Come back. See what's there. Further down. Come back. How does it feel on the other side? So we're giving little fulfillable tasks. And then the mindfulness gradually comes online. Initially it may be a bit resistant, but then gradually it starts to flow. And then the sticks get bigger. You know, the the feedback gets more diverse, more textured, more subtle. And suddenly you have a malleable. Remember last night, malleable was a word. Chitta, mudu, soft, pliable. The mindfulness becomes workable. Kamaniya. And then you can give it tasks and say, why don't you why don't you become as fine as you can? You know? Why don't you feel the tapering of your outbreath a little longer? Can you catch your in breath a little earlier? Can you hold it more gently? And then suddenly there's an aliveness coming back. So what can I contemplate in terms of mind states? I can contemplate what mind state has arisen by sampling the present. You know, is this curiosity? Is this anxiousness? Is this boredom? Is this euphoria? What is happening here? Yeah. What is called for? Those would be contemplative questions. What does this need to unify? 
Another question is, you find that this is only spared or this is only reserved for stuff that is repetitive, that is tenacious and that keeps coming up in your mind. Patterns, thoughts, stories, uh, self-narratives. You, you ask yourself, okay, there is this story and instead of talking to the story, can I somehow talk to the energy behind the story? What is the, what is the, think of sailboats, you know, you have a nice little mountain lake and you have sailboats, white little sails kind of moving across. And instead of following the boat, you're looking at what direction the wind blows from. Yeah. So instead of just following the boat, the story, the narrative, the commentary, you're actually trying to find what propels the sail. Yeah. What fills that sail? Is this an angry wind? Is this a desirous wind? Is this is this a wind of anxiety? Is this a wind of aspiration? You know, there's many other wholesome things in there. So instead of going for the ship, you're trying to use the ship to ascertain where the wind blows from. And you get in touch with the energy that propels that state, that pattern, that thought. So you notice that you establish a relationship with the emotional or the, um, the sankara, the power, the impulse behind the thought, behind the story, behind the pattern that emerges. Sometimes that works when you, instead of listening to the message, you just listen to the tone of voice. I often have, you know, people are much less deceived by voices than by appearance. So uh, the research that it's much easier to cheat people on TV than to cheat them on radio. People are much more easily to spot the untruth in the spoken voice than in than in the visual appearance. It's much easier to fake the visual cues for authenticity than the auditive uh, cues. So just listening to the, the tone of voice in which a message comes, rather than to the message itself, rather than to the thought itself and what it tells me, rather than believe it. Just listen. Would I? Is this voice a trustworthy voice? Is this an angry voice, a sad voice? an envious voice, a spiteful voice. And you suddenly hear, no, you know, I wouldn't trust that. If I heard that voice speak in a place, in public, I wouldn't believe that voice. Why should I believe it here in my own mind? So we have the freedom not to believe what we think, and I would encourage you to make use of that freedom. Much of what we think is... I don't want to be personal and insulting, but... If your mind is anything like mine, it's not good to believe what I think. <laughs> Much of the time. You know. It's good to know, but it's not necessarily good to believe. And it's an immense freedom not having to believe, but actually hearing what is said, but also hearing how it is said. And often how it is said is way more revealing from where this is from, what soil this grows out of. And if you decide that the soil is not a good one, then you're not eating that plant. You're not harvesting that crop. 
And many of the things, I don't know how it is for you, but it is for me, many of the things my mind does that are not helpful, that mind has done for a long time. It's not terribly original. Yeah? So I often know where things are going. I've been there. So recognizing the unwholesomeness of a pattern, and we stop watering that plant. You know, we stop watering, we stop fertilizing that soil. <coughs> fertilizing it with belief, fertilizing it with sustained attention, fertilizing it with, with uh, giving it permission to associate and continue and proliferate. We say, oh, okay, yeah, I know. You're an envious voice, sorry. You know, I followed you too often. I can't really not have you, but I will not give you my energy. What else is there? Can I talk to somebody else, please? (laughs) Another contemplation we can do is just acknowledging that I'm familiar with the pattern that arises that I have identified as unwholesome. And I know where this will take me in two minutes. You know, I'll know I've been there in helplessness, in anger, in longing, in um, just feeling impotent and in, incapable, overwhelmed. Yeah? I've, for so many things, I know that already. I don't need to actually go that way again. Get off the bus. Think of bus rather than train. You don't have to drive up to the last station. Just get out at the next stop. If this takes you to Tristania, you don't need to follow through to this Tristania. Yeah? Uh, this, you've been there enough. If it takes you to anger, you don't need to follow. If it takes you to a kind of unfulfilled longing, and most of our desire ends up in unfulfilled longing, <laughs> particularly on a meditation retreat. <laughs> Because you don't actually get it. <laughs> you know, okay, it gives you good feelings to think of a pizza, but you don't actually get a pizza. And while thinking about it, it gives you sort of an afterglow of having had pizza, but it doesn't actually do the pizza thing, really. So all the best is you get some kind of longing. Yeah? So, and, okay, you can do that for a number of times, and then somehow... You know it, isn't it? So much of what is not good for us, so what we know is just filling our inner space. We have, we have done. You know, we're not kids anymore. So just get off the bus and say, thank you very much. <laughs> just, I have some other plans for today. Yeah. So acknowledging that we have a choice in moving out of patterns. So please practice with that. I would love to completely change the scene and do some standing exercise with you right now, if that's okay. Then I would invite you to stand up. Good. Um, 
look for a good stand, a good distance between your feet. So I um, shoulder width, hip width uh, depends a bit whether you have what kind of shoulders and hips you have. So make sure you're both you're comfortable and stable. And let us move forward and backward a little bit so that we can really feel that the whole sole of our feet is weighted from the heel right up front to the toes. And then you're taking up the image of the string puppet being raised by the top of your skull as if pulled from above. So you feel that your spine is lengthening, you're as tall as you truly are. You feel all your happy discs widening, expanding, taking a deep breath. And then let us make sure that we distribute the weight of this body on both feet. Make sure that both the inside and the outside of the foot are taking some of the weight. Your toes are nicely draped and all pull their weight and are on the job. If you're unsure, just lean forward and see how it feels if you claw in your toes and take off the weight from your heel, how strenuous that actually is for the back of one's leg, your buttocks, how that translates right into our back, how effortful we can make it to just stand here, just by leaning a tiny bit forward. Really... Great training for rock climbing, you know. You can really train your calves like this. But that's not really what we want, so we kind of come back. We exaggerate gently into the opposite direction. Feel how the weight comes off the front of our feet. How uh, There's something dizzying about this, so be careful. Uh, it feels unsafe in my case. Yeah. So we seek the middle. We seek the middle so that our weight is centered. Think of concentric circles. Circle around your feet, or more precisely around your ankles. A circle around your knees. Circle around your hip joints. And make sure that these circles are above each other. The tension in our legs will be a good indication how precise our alignment is. So don't hesitate to correct when you feel you need to adjust. So feet, your knees are not locked, nor are they bent. This is not Tai Chi. 
beautiful at Tai Chi is, but right now we're not doing Tai Chi. So neither bent nor locked. There's an anatomical zero position for knees. Unbelievable as this sounds, this actually is possible to have knees that are exactly not locked and not bent. Then we see whether we can align the circle around our shoulders with the other circles. So, ideally this begins to grow together. Shoulders, hips, knees, ankles, all feeling each other. And then we look for our highest vertebras in the cervical vertebras pulling in our chin pushing forward our chin trying to find a middle there in connection with our circles so the head rests don't know exactly what the English word is but it's a think of a water jet going straight upward <coughs> balancing balancing a ball so there we stand aligned handing over our weight to the ground beneath our feet doing as little effort as possible, relaxing as much as possible. So feet are relaxed, calves are loose, thighs are not efforting, buttocks are not pinched, perineum, pelvic floor is relaxed. belly is exactly as big as it would like to be, arms are heavy, we feel the weight in our elbows, feel the weight of the entire arm in our shoulder joints, gently pulling down those shoulders, softening, what we become aware of is being crisp or hard or tense, seeing whether we could gently go there, stroke this area with our breath, soothing, acknowledging the tension, sighing quietly into that area, seeing whether release is possible, seeking relaxation in our larynx area, the many small and fine muscles that are present at the front of our throat, feeling the warmth coming in there, moving to the back of the neck, softening 
our assortment of muscles that do the holding. There's quite a few of them. Moving into the jaw, releasing that jaw. Mouth is slightly open. Tongue is resting gently in its bed. And then think of Think of warm fingertips circling over your cheeks. If you're dizzy, if you have low blood pressure, if this is too strenuous, please feel free to sit at any moment. Gentle, caressing fingertips moving across your cheeks, around your mouth, softening your facial expressions. Moving up to your cheekbones, sensing the the depth in which our eyes rest in their sockets and releasing the muscles that hold our eyeballs in the sockets. Just a gentle caressing holding of these eyes. circling over our forehead, around our temples, moving up to the top of our head, gentle caressing, circling fingertips. Feeling the balance, the equilibrium, standing in that jet of energy, energy moving through our feet, following the inside of our thighs into our pelvis, through our pelvis, along the spine, up through our vertebras, into the neck, into the head. This beautiful jet of energy opening outward, falling down on the outside of the body and washing away every tension, all the holding, all that is taut and hardened and crystalline, just standing in that energy jet, completely still and completely in motion.
secrets. Thank you. I'll hand over to Brian. For uh, walking meditation today, I want to invite you some uh, invite you to um, kind of consider these two domains. Um, one is is coming back to the feeling just of sensations of the body in terms of creating the container for walking meditation, and then within that, maybe playing with some of these quote unquote tasks that Akinchina was sharing around Chittanupasana. In terms of the container in walking meditation, uh, sometimes I, I play a lot of games in my meditation to keep it alive. And for walking meditation, uh, the way I do that is I really give myself the encouragement of, can I become unfamiliar with this activity of walking? Or it could even be with moving. So it's like, what's it like just to stand up from your sitting posture, or to sit down? What's it actually feel like in the body to take a step? And how can you become unfamiliar with that as if you've never done it before? Because, as you probably know, with our minds, they are designed to become uh, habituated to certain activities so that we are not paying as much of attention. And there is a benefit to that. I do want to say, like, I'm so glad that I have a mind that does that. And at the same time, I'm uh, wanting to cultivate in the, the walking meditation to counteract that in some way. And it reminds me when I was, uh, this happened, I was doing a long retreat, uh, two and a half months, three months in Nepal with this uh, Burmese teacher from the Burmese tradition, um, Saida Uvivakananda, and it was quite similar when I was practicing in Burma, where I think in Nepal we would go into the teacher six days a week and to report on what we were experiencing in our meditation. And so that means for months, most mornings, six mornings out of a week, I'd have to report and to share what I was feeling on the sensations of the bottoms of my feet as I was walking. And in some ways that was fantastic because what started to uh, happen, it was, it was like I started to realize, oh, uh, there's whole worlds in here that I can begin to discover once there's this quality of sensitivity and curiosity. What's it actually like when the, when, the, when the foot gets set down onto the ground? Can you feel that increase of pressure? And then you can bring that sensitivity that Akinshina was talking about, how that disappears, how that fades away. The feeling of the movement of the foot oh, there's the moving of the foot and then the foot comes down and then the movement of the going across stops. 
Oh, and then there's a different sensation there. You know, as, as uh, Paul, Valerie said, there's, there's, there is another world, and it is in this one. Can you discover that other world? And very much around movement. You know, this is happening all the time. It can be just simply moving your arm, right? The feeling of that. Like if I become curious about that, it's like, wow, there's so much going on just as I'm talking to you and moving my arm. I can feel it. I can feel more sensations on one side and then the other. Or if I look over here and then I feel my, move, my head move over here, right? The, the sensations on the right side compared to the left side are different. And there's like a slight tension that appears and then it disappears. There is another world and it is in this one. So an invitation to bring this quality of becoming unfamiliar of what it feels like to walk on the sensation level, on the somatic level, just as we are exploring all these details just in standing. And then it's within that, you know, it's within that there can be a sensitivity, you could say, or to, you're right, I would use the word linger, to linger with one of these tasks. <laughs> Such as, uh, just to linger, what's the, because uh, this is in the realm of Chittanupasana, of what's the emotional flavor right now as I'm walking? So I'm checking in, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the attention, I'm turning the attention to that that framework of my experience. Oh, oh, anxiousness. There is just a little bit of feeling of anxiousness right now. And I feel it in my stomach. Oh, there it is. Oh, interesting. It increases some when I bring my attention to it. Oh, actually, what I'm feeling is calm. Oh, there's, there's tranquility. And I can feel there's a settling in the body. There's like a, a weighted, a, 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 a pleasant weightedness in the body. Of settled in that way, and it's tranquil, calm. That's chitanupasana. It's, it's noticing that there's that mind state, and it crosses over, just that one of the seven factors of awakening. I find it helpful, though, to keep it simple. Like, just for the entire day, you can be doing walking meditation, discovering that there is another world, and is this in this one, somatically. And then every so often, checking in, what's the, what's the emotion here? Calm, anxiousness, excitement, worry, anger, irritation, joy, delight. And it feels like this. And then what happens to that emotion? Oh, it lingers, it continues, and then it disappears. It arises and then passes away. Hopefully you're hearing how simple this can be too. Sometimes there can be such complexity that we're confronted with with this practice that it can feel too much. Do you hear how simple it can be? Feeling the body, becoming unfamiliar with that, and you could keep it simple of like, what's the emotional flavor there? And to remember, yeah, it's going to be messy and chaotic and it's fine that you feel the body for a little while, then mind's lost. You kind of notice the emotion in that mind gets lost, you feel the body, the mind gets lost. That's so okay. We're just wanting these moments of mindfulness in these particular ways, whether it's on the somatic level or nupasana in terms of the emotional level. And even noticing when something disappears, it could be 
that you're feeling a lot of anxiousness and the mind gets lost and you kind of come back to the to, to walking meditation and then you realize it's not there anymore. That counts. <laughs> I just want to say that. It doesn't have to be this like smooth, continuous mindfulness that's there moment after moment after moment. Allow mindfulness to catch what it wants to in this way. Okay, may you... Uh, may you discover that other world today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.